from Relay FM. This is Upgrade episode number 384. Upgrade this week is brought to you by Fitbod, Amazon Music, and Smile. I'm Jason Snell. I'm always here, but I'm not usually doing this part. But Mike Hurley, remember him? He is on assignment. He was in Los Angeles last week. Now he is in Hawaii basking in the sun, drinking up the tropical rain, whatever he's doing there. Uh, so instead, we have brought in a special guest host making his only the second appearance ever on Upgrade. It's very special guest, novelist, Macworld columnist, clockwise and rebound co-host, and my co-conspirator at Six Colors. It's Dan Morin. Hi, Dan. Hello, 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 Jason. <laughs> oh, no, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You can't. Hi. Don't. Just don't. Hi, Jason. Uh, it's Welcome to Upgrade. It's been oh, it's, it's been since 20, 2016 I, since you were I, here. I know, five years. Uh, I'll be due back after this in another five, and that'll be nice. It'll be, no, it's great to be back. I actually listen to Upgrade pretty much every week. It's one of the few shows I do listen to every week, so it's it's always a pleasure to to get to come on and actually talk to you so you can hear me instead of just yelling at you and Mike. And and uh, Dan and I, in addition to writing at Six Colors, we do a weekly podcast for Six Colors members every Friday. So it's not like Dan and I don't talk every week about tech stuff, but we're doing it here on Upgrade this week. Uh, and uh, we, as always, we're going to start with a hashtag Snell Talk question. <laughs> I got to pick it, no less. Uh, and it's this, it's from Wes. What is the oldest question in Snell Talk? How old is it? And why does Mike keep <laughs> skipping the question? <laughs> and that brings us to this Snell Talk question from listener Graham, sent April 6th, 2017. After you appeared on the podcast, Dan. Yeah, uh, yeah. Favorite law of physics? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, thank you, Graham, from 2017. And I don't know, we're going to have to leave it for Mike to answer why he keeps skipping this question and many other questions, because it's a spreadsheet. He could delete stuff at the top and say, I'm probably not going to answer a question. Like the, the, uh, Wes also asked about Ask Upgrade and the oldest Ask Upgrade question is from January, 2020. And that's ridiculous, right? I think that the answer there is Mike has just not gone through and cr- and cropped out the ones, yeah, you right. know, questions about like, what do you think is going to be in the iPhone 12 or whatever? It's like, um, maybe not. Uh, but January 2020 is great because it's like, oh, man, do you think we'll ever see another global pandemic? Yeah, I can't, can't wait for WWDC <laughs> this year. I'm going to San Jose. Are you? Uh, yeah, exactly right. So. To answer Graham's question from 2017, there's only one answer that I can give to this question, and that is my favorite law of physics, if we can call it that, is Snell's Law, a formula Mm. used to describe the relationship between the angles of incidence and refraction. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. Snell's Law. And uh, you can't prove it wasn't me who did it. So that's my answer. Snell's Law. That's that's a good answer. The... uh, Gift of Relay is something you can give this holiday season. I just wanted to mention this to people out there who are listening and are thinking about becoming a Relay FM member and haven't yet. Or maybe you've got a, a, a membership-hesitant friend you want to gift them a membership. You want to unlock the doors of Upgrade Plus. Or if you're a fan of Dan's show, Clockwise, you could up, mm-hmm. you upgrade your membership and unlock the doors of Clockwise Unwound uh, and mm-hmm. become a member of Clockwise. Either way, or some other show on Relay, I guess, that's not hosted by us, but you could do that too if you wanted to now is a great time to do it until december 17th all of our annual plans are 22 percent off for new subscribers 
You just go to giverelay.com to learn more and set up your gift. Uh, This includes, of course, Upgrade Plus. You will get a year of ad-free episodes with bonus content every single week for just $39. Try it yourself or give it to a friend who has not yet been exposed to the amazing things that we talk about, like like Dan and I talking about tea uh, Mm -hmm. in this episode. So just uh, giverelay.com. Yeah, check it out. All right, we have some follow-up. So fun. Dad let me drive the car. It's great. (laughs) Why are we careening off this cliff, Jason? I I don't know how to drive. That's the problem. Ironically, I I do know how to drive, and and Mike does not know how to drive. But he knows how to drive a podcast, just not a car. That's true. I want to follow up on uh, the Apple headset is something we've talked about. uh, But also, really, it's this is... Technically, this is our weekly What's in Mark Gurman's Bloomberg Newsletter this week segment, <laughs> since Mark is very kind enough to, to mail that one out on a Sunday, and then Upgrade happens on Monday, and we get to read Mark's newsletter and figure out what's going on in there. Um, most of his newsletter this week was actually him complaining about how he got jerked around <laughs> in his iPhone rebate, which is, I thought, an interesting choice. But uh, there's a bunch of juicy stuff in the in the stuff that only goes to Bloomberg subscribers, and uh, fortunately, people who repackage Bloomberg subscribers. Yeah, I was going to say, fortunately, Mac Rumors has taken that, those segments and blown them out into not one but three separate stories. Now that is something uh, about this. But I wanted to start with the AR headset because Mike and I have talked about that a bit. And what Mark says is it will be positioned as a dream for game developers. It will be for media consumption, and he expects Apple to work with media partners to create content for uh, VR on the device. And third, communications, look for emojis and a VR FaceTime-like experience to be the new age Zoom, um, which I, AR FaceTime, sorry to people like Ben Thompson who think it's great, AR FaceTime sounds as appealing as those AR I meetings in Metaspace where you're a floating I, torso. I, I just mm, don't get it. Mm-mm. I don't get it. I don't think I don't. I don't know that. So I, I don't know. I've talked to other people. My my co-host over at the Rebound, uh, Lex Friedman, says that basically whenever he is uh, like on Facetime and his kids are on Facetime, they always want to do like the N emoji thing. And I get like, all right, I guess that that is a possibility. Like there are, but I'm there's not a lot of kids in meetings. I guess they do have Zoom for like classrooms and stuff. But who's gonna let them use the N emoji stuff for that? I I just. It's a gimmick, but it's not a thing that's actually useful. I mean, I don't know. I I, I think that there is uh, an uh, all those things make sense in terms of like they seem well set up for what a VR headset is. But I'm not sure that they are all things that Apple will execute well on and or are things that people want. That's my question. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's the great mystery. Now, I have an Oculus Quest too. Is that right? Yeah, the uh, uh, that I got for Christmas last year. I gave it to the family. Uh, my son and I both play it. We we didn't get my daughter or my wife to to use it other than like momentarily. But I think it's a lot of fun. Um, I think the uh, uh, so I'm interested in this. The the media partners to create content that will be watched in VR. I'm curious. Watching VR content is very weird. I will tell yeah. you one of the things that I have enjoyed, and I think there is an opportunity for something in this headset, especially since it's supposed to have very high quality displays. Is um, I've actually watched a couple of 3D movies on it 
because mm. it's got the two different eyepieces, so you can watch right. a 3D movie and you can watch it in a 3D space, or you can be floating in a void or whatever. And as somebody who is always skeptical about 3D movies at the movie theater, it is actually kind of cool to have that experience. And you know, the home 3D movie experience was really bad because right, right. 3D TVs and all of that. Um, so I do wonder if one of the things Apple might do is get everybody to dust off all their 3D content and put that in a. Uh, you know, in, basically in a version of the iTunes Store or a version of Apple TV Plus or something like that. I don't know. Will, will the will the third season of C be in 3D for VR? <laughs> that I don't know. Seems 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 like an interesting choice for a show given its subject matter. Uh, I think the interesting things here are one. You know, obviously they have a huge content arm now, so like spinning up deals for content for like stuff specifically tuned for VR AR. Like that's a thing they could reasonably do. Uh, I always have questions about this as an experience because fundamentally when you're putting on a headset and sitting there and watching something is a experience that like you're not going to share with other people sitting around you probably unless I'm sure Apple would love you to all buy headsets so everybody right. in your family. Well, bobbing and emojis in the theater right. seats. <laughs> Great. Uh, but it does make me think um, with Apple's huge push on SharePlay this year that maybe that's a gateway for mm-hmm. them. Maybe they're envisioning this as like a, well, now that we have SharePlay for uh, you know all these other, of course we have SharePlay for our new headset. You can log into the metaverse and watch a movie with your your pals who are across the country and all show up in your as your uh, avatars you'll, or you'll whatever. You'll see little animojis in the, in the yeah. sense. Yeah. Maybe. That's plausible. What, a lot of what we do when we're dealing with rumors like this is try to connect the dots. And, and I think you and I have both written articles about how Apple is really good at, um, although they like to keep secrets, what they are really good at is laying groundwork. And mm-hmm. if you can connect the dots, sometimes it's unexpected and sometimes it's clear. But uh, I think that that is a good dot connecting that you just did there, which is this idea that that SharePlay and that VR headset you put those together and you end up with that shared media consumption thing in a virtual space. I think like if they are, if they are still believers in share play in a year, I think that that's what they'll have to do. Plus at this point, you know, by the time they roll it out, it's, it's probably again, like you said, groundwork laid for something that may get announced later this year. Um, And I think share play also links into the idea of if you're going to do gaming on this, uh, having some sort of multiplayer experience where you interact with people and like have a conversation, you know, like you're chatting on FaceTime while playing a game with someone. I think that that makes sense as well. The gaming thing is is extremely dicey because although it is a place where obviously VR has been most successful right now, as you guys have discussed and as you and I have discussed, Apple's relationship with gaming historically is very iffy and Mm -hmm. and thinking that they're going to sort of put this platform out there and they're like it's going to be so great that people are going to flock here and make amazing vr games maybe but i don't have a lot of faith built in i think the the when apple has been successful with gaming it has never been really on purpose but it's been because of their creating a product that had a a superiority over other products and their success in the iphone has been uh that they have provided so much, you know, graphics horsepower, and also so many users, and that that it has driven people to the uh, iPhone game market, and that's, I think that's the scenario that you would have to look at here. Yeah. Is that if if Apple doing an AR headset uh, or a VR headset drives more sales of VR headsets than any other developer ever, mm-hmm. and you can take your iOS games especially and convert them fairly readily for this format. 
and it's got the advantage of Apple Silicon, so it's actually maybe the most capable untethered VR headset out there. You know, what what you hope is you put all that together and the developers are like, well, we have to be there. Um, but that's the that's a big leap, right? And it, sure, you, it yeah. requires you to build it in for them to come. And are they going to come? Because Apple, yes, anytime Apple has done a, a, a very careful, like, here is our game strategy, it's sort of been, eh, okay. Whereas if Apple just sort of sticks to what it's good at and says, we made this great platform yeah. and people love it, then the game developers say, we want to be there. Right. And I mean, they've tried this into a certain degree. I mean, Apple Silicon, Max, you know, there is the ability to port your games from iOS over there. I don't think that's been a particularly successful uh, platform as a result, at least so far. Um, maybe as the transition sort of completes and there are more and more devices running on Apple Silicon, people will, you know, developers will find it more attractive to move their iOS games over there. But so far, we haven't seen like a mass exodus of iOS games onto the Mac OS. And, and the Mac is stuck in that regards because it's got that doesn't have the touchscreen interface of iOS, which helps make it very, uh, you know, compelling in a lot of the games that you play mobile. Uh, and it doesn't traditionally have the stuff that that console or PC gamers want to use or want to play. So mm-hmm. they've always been a little stuck in the middle there. And I think, I don't know, maybe, like you said, it's never something that they've really succeeded at when they've tried to do it. But sort of when they make a great product that people want to use, the games seem to follow. Yeah, it's, it's this really interesting... Um conundrum of like apple cares about games but apple caring about games is not what makes apple succeed at games apple doing other things is what makes apple succeed at gaming and that's just always been that way since the mac days it's just always been that way um anyway that is we may 2022 uh may be the year Mm -hmm. of the apple headset at last um we'll see it's been rumored so long but unlike the apple car it seems to be uh, like maybe on the conveyor belt and slowly yeah. headed in our direction or <laughs> in the pipeline, if you want to use that metaphor instead. There there are more um, Mark Garman reports, though. But wait, yes, there's more. So many. Uh, there's an overview on um, a bunch of other 2022 plans, iPad updates, uh, including an iPad Pro with wireless charging, an iPad Air refresh because it's sort of a little it's a little yep. long in the tooth now. And maybe redesigning the base iPad to be more in line with the other iPads in, in terms of thinner and maybe no home button on the on the front of it and maybe a, a flat side so they could put Pencil 2 on it instead of the original Apple Pencil, which is what mm-hmm. it currently uses. Uh, that's interesting. I mean, I've been kind of waiting for them to get their ducks in a row with the iPad lineup because... You know, they they release new models of iPads at different times throughout the year, and so therefore they're never quite in sync. Like the iPad Air right now is a very tricky device to recommend because it is expensive for what it is, and once you get into sort of iPad Air price range, an iPad Pro starts to look very appealing for only a modest, you know, additional fee. Um, Whereas the base model iPad is a great value, but it is definitely like... Uh, you know, the tech of yesteryear in many ways. I mean, it's inevitable that it has to get revised into something that looks like all the other iPads. Uh, And the iPad mini already went there this year. So it feels like, since it's inevitable, next year is as good a time as any. And I think German's report suggests that Apple... Uh, may have been shooting to get that out this year, and it just was not something that right, they were capable right. of doing. So they kicked it down the road a year, but that we should expect to see that. And I, I think that's about right. I don't expect massive changes to the iPad Pro um, because they just did some pretty just impressive did, yeah. changes, other than bringing Mini LED to the um, the uh, smaller iPad Pro model. 
Um, but I'd be surprised if it like gets a complete remake because they just sort of did it and it, it's state of the art now in a lot of ways other than dropping presumably like an M2 processor in there, just like whatever is powering the new MacBook Air that he has, has talked about and that also he restated here. Yeah. It is it is then very interesting. Like if Apple does redo that base level iPad with a lot of the benefits that you see, you know, new design, et cetera, Pencil 2 compatibility, what is then the story we're telling about something like the iPad Air? Will yeah. the iPad Air come down in price to sort of bridge that gap a little better? Or are there going to be additional features to the iPad Air that won't be in the base model? Like, I, I think they need to figure yeah. out what their positioning is for that line. I'm a big uh, fan of identifying product differentiation. I think that it's a thing that is really important when you understand what Apple is doing. And that has been the challenge with the iPad Air, especially as it's kind of an iPad Pro, but not... And, you know, what's the optimal price? Because what they really want to do is design the iPad Air in such a way that they can price it in the right space in between the Pro and the iPad. Because it is honestly, like the the base iPad, it's going to be, people will buy it for their kids and it's going to go into schools, but it totally is the classic marketing thing of good, better, best, which is you get people into the store with a low price and then you upsell them on the mid price and the mid price is the one that most people buy. And that's the iPad Air. It's like, it looks kind of like an iPad Pro, but it's not quite, but still it looks really nice. And this one looks like an old iPad. Like they, they have to judge like the right gap between those products in terms of features and price so that people are kind of motivated to spend a little more money uh, and get that mid-range Whereas the Pro, like, I do wonder sometimes if the iPad Pro is going to keep getting more expensive mm-hmm. because that's another, unfortunately, as somebody who uses one, that's another way that you could differentiate it or, or, or spread it out from the iPad Air is to say, well, yeah, but the iPad Pro costs so much more than the iPad Air. Right. I, I think they, I honestly think the Air, if they could hit that target point about like 500 bucks, 499 for sort of the intro level Air, that's the traditional price of the iPad, right? Going back to the original right. iPad, 499 I think that's where you want to be because you're yeah. just enough over that 329 price point that it's like you know you're going to get more for your buck but it is more expensive it's not the bargain basement sort of thing but it keeps it well south of sort of the ipad pro cost right and then you get that that base ipad the goal of base ipad is to have a as low a price as possible to get people into the ipad line i think it's one of the reasons the ipad has had its comeback is that apple has realized that instead of having over the last five years or whatever instead of having like an ipad in the middle you need something that's cheap and you also then can create something that's much more expensive and profitable but the like hardcore people are going to buy it i'm one of those people and I, i love my ipad pro i love love it love it um, my M1 iPad Pro with the, the big one with the mini LED. It's gorgeous. It's amazing. So I'm happy to spend that money every few years on one of those. But there are a lot of people who even looked at the standard iPad back in the day and were like, it's too expensive. I can get this mm-hmm. Amazon, this terrible Amazon tablet, but yeah, I can right. still get it for a six pack, right? Remember that when they were offering <laughs> six packs? <laughs> yeah, the qu- quantity solves all your problem, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I know one tablet, one bad tablet is bad, but six bad tablets is also bad <laughs> worse <laughs> yeah it, it may be maybe um mark german since we're in the german re- recap the section gr- the german mark, zone friend of the yeah. show mark german he's been on the show uh up apple watch update he says you know series eight he's also this is this is a really good uh, newsletter because it's very much like him uh wrapping up his uh his reports from across the year in a kind of a yeah. nice package not a lot of these are new but it's all in one place so for apple watch he says yes there'll be a series eight he says there'll be an updated uh, SE model and the new rugged sports edition watch that is aimed at athletes. Now, 
Mike and I have talked about the sports edition. I think that's such a great idea because yeah. instead of creating a you know, instead of creating a rugged something or other around like a rugged case or something like that, it's like, no, why don't we just take the guts of an Apple Watch and put it in a completely different design for uh, you know, for athletes, and and you can same same software, probably same hardware, or mostly the same hardware. Maybe the sensors are different, but like the shell is totally different. And so many watch uh, lines out there in the world, like you think about your you know G Shocks or something mm-hmm. like that. Like there mm-hmm. are active active watches that are rugged and that are for sports. And Apple's just sort of had their little metal rectangle. So um, the that rugged model makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, no, I I agree. I think it's interesting to do the differentiation based on something sort of more aesthetic. I would expect it to have, you know, a different watch face or something kind of like the partnerships sure. they've done with like the Nike watch Nike. faces, yeah, right. exactly. And but maybe some different it, sensors or some different little things. But you know, ultimately, it will probably be a Series Eight. I would yeah. guess on Style. the inside. Yeah. But in terms of the tech, but the outside would be totally different. Yeah, I think it's the equivalent of doing like different case materials, right? Like, I mean, in some ways you've done your ceramic, you've done your right. titanium, and then it's like, oh, here's our rugged it's case, time, whatever Time that for is. rubber or rugged or whatever it is. Updated SE uh, fascinates me. Uh, so many people who talk about Apple all the time have been talking about this weird dichotomy between the that very, very, very old Series 3 that's still kicking around and the mm-hmm. SE and the perception that we thought we all thought when the SE came out that it was going to replace the, the 3 sure. and it didn't and a year later it still didn't. And so when I hear updated SE, I actually start to wonder, does that mean better or does it mean like cheaper to make so that they can get really get rid of the Series 3? Because I have a hard time imagining them selling the Series 3 in the fall of 2022. It feels like it's got to it, go. It's so so old. It, the yeah. SE, I would think that what you'd want to do with the SE is make that product that is, uh, that maybe the first SE shot a little too high. Um, but. I, but I honestly don't know because I'm I'm still kind of baffled by the fact that the SE is still kicking around in the middle and and the the three is still kicking around at the bottom. So I don't really know what they're up to here. But they have two paths to go. It's just like the iPad, Dan. It's yeah, just like exactly. the iPad. They got the two paths. Do you do you make it an affordable kind of mid range watch or do you drag it all the way down so you can get rid of your low end old yeah. model? Well, the question is differentiation again. Like, what is the purpose of this? Is it as you said to be that base level model? That is going to get people in the door, and you're saying like, ah, you can buy one for I don't know, 199 dollars or something, right? Uh, I'm sure they would love to have a watch that's compelling down there. But then, what do you take out so that it's not cannibalizing sales of the more yeah. expensive watches, right? I mean, right now it doesn't have, I believe, the always-on screen, right? Which is sort of in the you know both the more recent ones. Um, the the three being around especially is weird because with the SE, I think with the three, the SE, and the seven you have different screen sizes, right? Because the 7 got larger again. So a 3 is basically... The the SE is basically a Series 4-ish with a couple slightly different capabilities. Yes. And then there's the 3, which, again, makes no sense. (laughs) 3 is there to hold that price point, but I cannot imagine a lot of people are buying it. So, yeah, I don't know. I I think it will depend in some ways on what other features get rolled into the 8. Uh, because Apple does a thing of, you know, sometimes they keep around older models. Sometimes they have something like the SE that's sort of like, we've kind of packaged a bunch of older models into one. You know, rather than keeping our old Series 6 around or something or Series 5, we have 
an SE that has some of the features of the five, but also right. lacks some of the features that the seven and high end watches are still have. Yeah, and that if I had to pick one thing, that would be my guess about the SE is they will update the internals a little bit. They'll but they'll still use that screen that is that sort of second generation Apple Watch screen, mm-hmm. and and they will try to make it so that they can finally get the margins to the point where they can make that their low end model because yeah. you know the the three is just going to be so long in the tooth I, at that point. As as someone who wears a Series Four and still, <laughs> um, the SE was a such a weird product because it felt like well it's still a la- it's a very lateral move for me <laughs> like it doesn't actually yeah. get me any of the features no. that i wanted no because um, it's but it's it, it's weird too because i mean it is not just literally a rebranded series four it's exactly like in between series it's a very yeah, weird it's a strange product i mean that's that's kind of the se thing for apple in general with the, the phones and i yeah it's i see why they're doing it but it, it does run into problems where now they have sort of backed themselves into a corner. So it'll be interesting to see how they update it. And fourth in our uh, list of ways that we use all of the parts of the Buffalo, the Buffalo being Mark Gurman's newsletter, um, recapping his uh, plan, uh, five new Macs for 2022, he says, uh, from Apple, including, uh, well, let's see here, a high-end iMac, yay, with Apple Silicon, sit above the 27-inch iMac, a significant MacBook Air revamp featuring the M2, and a new design, colors maybe colors, uh, an updated Mac Mini. That's the you know replacing high the end, yeah. Intel Mac Mini that's still there, folks. The high end Mac Mini still there, so replacing that, maybe replacing the low end one or not. I'm actually kind of curious if they yeah. continue to differentiate and have sort of like the silver one and the space gray one, and there's a Pro and a not Pro. Um, he says a new version of the entry level MacBook Pro, so that 13 inch model that is weird Inter- now. Interesting choice there. T- touch bar, touch bar needs to be removed. <laughs> And uh, and a new Mac Pro, there it is with Apple Silicon. So um, that's his that's his drop on those five Macs for 2022, which sounds Most, about right. That's sort of yeah. what we're expecting. Mostly things that we've we've all sort of assumed are coming because they fill gaps that are in the current lineup, right? Specifically, the high end iMac and the new Mac Pro are both things that you know need to make the jump, as well as the uh, high end Mac Mini. Interesting that they are revamping potentially that entry level MacBook Pro. It does make sense from a price point perspective, but it also is weird because. Is it going to be a 13-inch MacBook Pro? Is it going to kind, or is it going to follow the design language of the new ones? I mean, you know, now that you've got a 14-inch in the mix, I, I'm kind of curious about what that product is exactly because uh, it sits weirdly between the MacBook Air and the new fancy MacBook Pros. <laughs> um, yeah, Different, I, we're back I, to differentiation. Differentiation, again, right? yeah, exactly, exactly. What's this? And then the MacBook Air revamp is most interesting because it's the sort of that's the next gen a new processor potentially and also it's the first one that we'll see like a second generation uh apple silicon model right i mean since the m1 air was one of the mm-hmm. first ones to roll out um and i'm intrigued because that that will probably be a much bigger departure the m1 air was essentially the pre-existing intel macbook air but just you know with different guts basically right <laughs> so yeah i um i'm intrigued by the uh, 13-inch MacBook Pro because I I do think there's a way for them to differentiate it. And the way is they put an M1 Pro in it. Mm -hmm. Um, So the M2 continues to be low power but has great efficiency, and that's in the MacBook Air. And then, then, you know, right now the M1 is the MacBook Pro. It's like, why why is that pro then what makes it pro and the answer is it's thicker it's got a fan that's about it but they can easily refresh the 13 to have the same chip as the 14 and the 16 and take the touch bar out 
And maybe it, you know, it doesn't have the fancy screens that the 14 and the 16 does, um, but it's more affordable than the 14 and the 16 while still offering a base model with a, you know, with a bind, obviously, a pro chip instead of the M1 or M2 chip. And that, I think that's enough, right? To call it a MacBook mm, Pro yeah. and to price it up from the air, but let it be an entry into the pro space. And then maybe they, you know, it's got enough of the cooling system in there that they can let you spend more money on it and, and, and spec up that process. I want, I do wonder about them updating it without changing the design at all, because it does feel very old. It does feel very Intel in its design. It does. And I, I mean, if they end up revving the air and the, you know, now they've got the new MacBook Pros, it starts to feel a little bit like that old, uh, what was it like? It was like an old non-retina one or something MacBook that stuck around for a long time. It had like a DVD drive in it and stuff. And if it starts to feel a little bit like that. It's like, well, we kept it here for a reason. We want to hit that price point and provide certain power or whatever, but it, it definitely feels like an older version. But when we talk differentiation, I think that's it, right? Yeah, I think that's right. it. It's like you want the fancy new 14 with the gorgeous screen that is like uh, uh extended dynamic range screen. Well, you're going to have to pay for the 14. The 13's got a, the old screen and the you know, it doesn't look as fancy and it doesn't have all the fancy ports. Um maybe it's got some different ports than it currently has, but still it's just there there are a lot of ways like that, that thing doesn't need to be cutting edge, but maybe having a a, a pro chip in it instead of an M one could be could be enough. There's, there's a little slot in there for it to differentiate. Is like I want uh I want a pro model, but I don't want to spend a lot of money. You end up with a that 13 inch model that's a compromise. It's, I'm not saying that it's a great product, uh, but I'm saying I can see Apple doing it. <laughs> that makes any sense? Like I'm like yeah, we could do that. Yeah, put sure. that in there and a new Mac Pro like I, I like the confidence here from Mark Gurman saying yeah that that's going to happen we don't know the details of exactly what that is um, and, you know he keeps on saying that um, that it's like a smaller design which mm-hmm. is not surprising necessarily because the current Mac Pro is very tall and what would go inside and I will refer you to about 10 different episodes of Accidental Tech podcast where they have have combination of analyzed and wish cast exactly what could be inside. I listen every week. I think it's fascinating, but like it's there are lots of decisions that Apple has has made with this product that we don't know about that will lead and and this is I always bring up the par- the parable of the three blind men and the elephant where yep. we get individual information and we don't know what we're seeing um and I feel that with the Mac Pro like there's there's probably some stuff that they made decisions by where that report of the small Mac Pro were like Oh right, that's what it is. But we don't know what it is yet. So yeah, uh, sure. I'm looking forward to year of year of twenty twenty two. It's the year of the Apple headset. It's the year of the uh, the Apple Silicon Mac Pro. Apparently, big big year. Sounds big good, year, Jason. Sounds good. I'm looking forward to twenty twenty two. Maybe it won't disappoint me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now you've jinxed it. All. The track record is not great. Uh, one last thing uh, before we move on, which is the Upgradies, uh, the eighth annual, a shocking uh, name, the eighth. And it seems just like yesterday I was telling Mike we couldn't call it the first annual upgrades, and now here we are. The eighth annual upgrades. The voting is open. You need to help us uh, with uh, nominees because this is the thing where you get to have your voice heard and also you get to remind us of things that we may have forgotten about for the year, products and, and stories and other things like that. Go to upgradies.vote to nominate now, and you can also find all of our previous winners at upgradies.com. That episode announcing the upgrades will be recorded and released on December 27th. It's our last episode of the year, as is traditional. Voting is going to close on Tuesday, December 21st. So you've still got some time, but definitely uh, send us your favorites uh, by going to upgrades.com. 
vote. This episode of Upgrade is brought to you by FitBod. It's very normal for people to start considering their health and fitness around this time of year, but between balancing work, family, and everything else you have going on, it can sometimes be hard to make fitness a priority. What you need is a program that works with you, not against you. That's why you need FitBod. FitBod's algorithm learns about you, your goals, and your training ability, and will craft a personalized exercise plan unique to you. And their app makes it incredibly easy to learn exactly how to perform each exercise. Personal fitness isn't about competing with other people. You don't want to look to others and try and stack up against them and do what they do. What you need is something that works for you. That's when it'll really stick and when you'll see the results you're looking for. FitBod uses data to create and adjust your dynamic fitness plan, and you'll have instant access to your own personalized routine in their app so you can make progress on your goals from anywhere. Everyone's fitness path is different, which is why FitBod does so much work to make sure they customize things exactly to suit you. They make sure to learn from your last workout, so your next will be even better, whether you work out twice a day or twice a week. FitBot even tracks muscle recovery to make sure your plan is balanced with a variety of exercises to make sure you're not overworking anything. And the app is easy to use with brand new HD video tutorials. It integrates with Apple Watch, Wear OS, SmartWatch, and Apple uh, apps like Strava, Fitbit, and Apple's own Apple Health. Personalized training of this quality can be expensive, but FitBod is just $12.99 a month or $79.99 a year. And you can get 25% off your membership by signing up at fitbod.me slash upgrade. So kick off the new year right. Get your customized fitness plan in place in December so you can go into 2022 feeling like you're going to get fit. That's fitbod.me slash upgrade for 25% off your membership fitbod.me slash upgrade thank you to fitbod for supporting this show and all of relay fm now dan you and i have both written columns recently at macworld about <laughs> uh apple's sort of coming soon features which i think it was it's worth talking about this idea that um and it's happening more often now and i, I don't think the right way to frame it is to say it's happening more often that apple announces features and then fails to ship them i think it's more that apple is now more open to announcing features in June, knowing that they will ship it at some point during the OS cycle, but not right. on day one. It's it's a lifespan kind of thing. Like iOS 15 is a is a kind of a thing that's going to continue evolving until they basically get to iOS 16, pretty much. Exactly right. Like it's it's just sometimes they'll do that. They'll ship it right right before the other thing. It's like no, we we did this thing. I know that WWDC is next week, but that thing we promised last year here it is. So don't complain about it next week because we did announce it this week. So so yeah, the I, I like their the the discipline that they're also not going to ship something that they. I mean, other than shortcuts, huh? Ugh. Zing. Uh, they're but they're they're less likely to ship something broken, um, and more likely to just defer it until it is. You know, there's that it's there's only one chance to make a first impression kind of thing. That's I think there's truth in that, that you roll out a new feature and it's busted and people are like, well, I'm never trying that again. So you kind of want it to work mm-hmm. the first time out the door. But there is a large catalog of things that Apple announced in June, many of them meant to be here by the, you know, in the fall, later in the fall right. is the classic line later in the fall. Well, later in the fall, we are about two weeks away from it not being fall anymore here in uh, in, in Cupertino fall anyway. And Much less uh, 2021 or, or by all. the end of yeah. the year, which is another <laughs> another way that they often phrase this stuff. So I thought we would go down the list. You Your article uh, definitely went through all of these. And let's let's, let's do a little check in on where all this stuff is. Um, so share play. 
Yeah, we we talked a little bit about SharePlay before in regards to the headset, but it so it came out. It wasn't in the original iOS 15 release. It got released in 15.1 a few weeks ago at this point. Um, it is still not available on the Mac, uh, but it is in the Monterey 12.1 betas, which have gotten pretty close. I think the the assumption is they will probably ship. If they didn't ship, basically as we started the show today, uh, then maybe later this week or next week, I would have to guess. I would assume they will make that that cutoff of fall. Um, but it's it's definitely, it's interesting because it was something that they hyped a lot, right? It was a, if you look down the sort of list of features, that was the one they spent a lot of time on this year. And for good reason, I think. It was, it was very much tied into the pandemic, I think, in terms of how they were rolling that out. But it also took a while to get uh, to get out there, and then I think there's also been some question of the the uptake of it so far. I'm not sure how many people are actively using SharePlay, which is perhaps a whole set a separate kettle of fish. I am looking forward to it being on the Mac because I do use the Mac all the time, even though this is probably a more iOS centric feature. I keep meaning to you to try out SharePlay, but of course the challenge with SharePlay is you need to try it out with other people. I mean, I guess technically you could have two devices, and how sad is that? Like, I'm sharing it with another device with another Apple ID. Yay! That's not using it, though, right? Like, I mean, that's us right. testing it and fiddling with it, but it's not a thing where it's organically getting used. And I think, you know, it's interesting you say that you, you know, obviously use the Mac. Do you do FaceTime a lot on the Mac? I do it more than you might think, but it's most All it's right. mostly because my daughter calls me at random times and I'm working, mm. and so I will just answer on the Mac because... All right. What what else? But yeah, I don't initiate FaceTime calls from the Mac ever. And so I, I can think of it being interesting. I mean, I think as I've talked to you about before, I do a podcast with my friend Lex Friedman called Not Playing with Lex and Dan, where we watch movies and like record a podcast as we watch them. So for that circumstance, it seems like, oh, SharePlay is perfect, right? Like that's exactly what I want. And so we don't have to fiddle with like, all right, we got our Zoom call up. We got a sync playback. Uh, you know, it, it, rather we can just sort of call and, and hit a play button and you're off and running. But other than things like that, I mean, I just I don't know if this is something that just it doesn't have a lot of application for me or whether it's a more broad, like doesn't have a lot of application for, for lots of people. So I'm glad it will have the feature parity on the Mac and the iOS side. I think that's smart. And it does raise all these interesting questions of where are they going with this? Is this something there? You know, if this is this big an initiative, it doesn't have another shoe to drop. Is there something coming with the, the headset? But yeah, I, I'm I'm glad that it's sort of getting out there, but it, it did take longer for something that they spent a lot of time talking about during WWDC. App privacy report. Yeah, this is actually in the iOS 15.2 beta. Is another thing that they touted pretty highly. Uh, sort of comes on the heels of the app tracking transparency stuff they did earlier this year with the end of iOS 14. Of course, that kept getting pushed back and pushed back in terms of implementation. Uh, and of course, it really pissed off Facebook. Um, I think this would probably be pretty similar. Um, it is in the 15.2 betas. I was actually looking at it the other day because I uh, on my iPad, which is still on the beta train, because uh, I was curious to see. And I was kind of blown away to see, like I had watched like one episode of Wheel of Time on Amazon Prime and there was like the, the Prime video app definitely had like way more phone homes than almost anything else, like twice as much as the next thing down on my list. That said, I don't use my iPad every day all the time. 
So I will be more interested to see when I'm using it on my phone exactly how that pans out. But it is uh, basically a screen that tells you how often all your apps are uh, checking in with their servers at home or um, asking for permissions to certain things and then how often, right? So in a lot of cases, it's like, how often does this app want your location? How often does this app want your access to your microphone or things like that? Um, So I think that's interesting. I think it's a really good addition. I'm kind of curious to see just how much it pans out in terms of are are developers going to try and find ways around this? Like, I I mean, it seems pretty like sketchy if they do that. But like, I can't imagine Facebook necessarily wants to report all the stuff its apps are asking for. Where this is a screen where you can go in and say, um, show me all the apps that are accessing this particular sensor or are using this kind of activity down to a domain level. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that that is the it's it's not the nutrition label it's like the analysis of what you yeah, ate exactly uh and 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 where it went it's uh interesting so it's it's in the beta and so again it's probably coming soon 15.2 i'm guessing probably ships whenever monterey 12.1 does so probably in the next week or two is my guess yeah. You would you would think it's pretty close it's before 15, everybody uh, goes on yeah on their on, on holiday, holiday vacation. break yeah yeah exactly all right um, now I, I've been informed by Apple that, uh, <laughs> by a footnote on Apple's website that, uh, when you die coming later this year, <laughs> you will be able to use the digital legacy feature, which Ooh. is a, a good feature with a bad footnote. But, um, this is also one of those things that's in the category of coming later. The idea that you'll be able to, uh, basically mark, uh, somebody to take your, uh, Apple ID and all of that over, um, if and when you pass away so that there yeah. isn't sort of a sudden lockout on an account and nobody knows and nobody can get into it. Yeah, I, I this was briefly in the betas very early on and I know because I actually put in, like I set mm. it up and printed out the like a piece of paper that had the recovery code on it and then I think it got removed in subsequent betas but I still have like my printout of like, like uh, you know, I put my wife in charge or whatever. I was like, here, you can have my account if you decide to uh, that i i am no longer with you and you need access to it i think this is a great program i mean it is something that i know a lot of people struggle with i i have um you know i remember my my one of my cousins trying to like cancel an aol account for one of his deceased parents and then being like constantly trying to like get him to renew well maybe he's like no she's not going to need it anymore sorry like and and that is a it's a terrible situation to be in when you have to deal with all these other stresses so having an ability to uh, set this up and and get access after the fact is i'm sure super beneficial but it is one of those things that requires a good uh, education program too like yeah. people got to know it's there uh, and I'm guessing a lot of us will probably end up helping set set this up for right. for loved ones. I assume that after people update to iOS 15.2 when it's final, or something, there is going to be a little thing that comes up that says, "Hey, digital legacy, yeah. <laughs> you're you you're going to die. Uh, don't <laughs> it's, lose it's your app. Let's think about what's important here: your Apple ID." <laughs> Yeah, it's when it's when that dialog box has a countdown clock on it that I think is really unsettling. Yeah, but. well, it's going to be an emoji of a skull. <laughs> Grim Reaper emoji is going to come up and say thumbs up. Uh, yeah, it's a super important thing. One of my earliest memories is my mom getting upset when we would get mail mm. for her father. 
yeah. um, who had died when I was two years old, right? And I, I, I definitely remember that she would get upset about that and like stop sending it. And, 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 you know, she gets, she gets mail from my, my dad now who passed away a few years ago and, and she's like, mm, he's not going to take advantage of this offer. You know, it's yeah, not going to happen. Uh, but that, uh, that, so this is important stuff and uh, we'll get it. It's a separate thing too from, there was also an account recovery thing. Uh, what was it like trusted contacts that is, that is in iOS 15 right. where you can designate other people if you lose your phone or something to like help right. you get back into your account. Right. But it's sort of a similar idea, but like, you know, different, different use case. Yeah. Uh, IDs in wallet. The idea, mm-hmm. this is our, our please, uh, please tap the NFC reader with your driver's license, which uh, eight states, and I think they said the TSA originally, like also has, yeah. has signed on to this. But this sounds like it's not, it, it's because you've got all these big bureaucracies and you've got all these security questions and all that. That sounds like a 2022. We're going we're gonna to put it in the 2022 hopper with the, uh, with the headset and the, uh, right. the uh, what else is in the hopper? The Mac Pro, it's in there. Yeah, even, even then, I think it's going to take a while before it actually gets out there. I mean, this is... Dealing with large institutions, and we saw this a little bit with Apple Pay, like, you know, it takes a while to get everybody to sign on. It it requires, like, some time to get critical mass and start going. And it's even worse when you're dealing with, like, government bureaucracies, right? So I will tell you where we're going to see this first. Um, I've recently discovered that at some airports, it's not all airports, but at some airports, I no longer need to present at the security Ah, desk a boarding pass because the boarding pass is linked to my ID. So they look at my, they scan my ID and the ID says, yes, Jason has a flight at this airport on this day. Let him Mm. through. And, uh, convenient until of course it's inconsistent so it's not convenient because then you go to the next desk at the next airport and they're like i also need your boarding pass sir and i'm like oh oh right okay you don't have the new stuff but this is my prediction is we're going to see another round of that uh maybe even with those kiosks that already are like that where there will be like an nfc tap thing Mm -hmm, and you'll mm -hmm. basically because they said the tsa is on board with this i think it's all related they're gonna you're gonna tap with your id and it's going to correlate that with your ticket, and they're going to look at you and have you take your mask down so they can see your face, and then you're going to be ushered through. Like It's like that's yeah. all they need. I think that will happen probably the soonest of everything because it's the one bureaucracy that needs to start rolling it out, and somebody will report, oh, in this random airport, I actually got to use this feature for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in terms of it being more than that, I think it's going to be a long yeah. time. And I'll point to, you know, I wrote a little bit on Six Colors about the digital vaccine cards. Uh, and I feel like this sort of links in with that to a certain extent and reminding us how fractured <laughs> the U.S. setup is in terms of it's very unequal in terms of where you can get these things. So I think it will be interesting to see this roll out. I've also seen that with the with the ID where they'll just scan that. And it reminds me a little bit, actually, of traveling in some uh, some places in Europe, too, where even to get on the plane, sometimes I feel like you have to scan like your your passport or something like that, like it like takes a barcode or something. So I, I think this is an interesting feature. And obviously. Obviously, they talked it up a lot. They posted a thing a couple months ago now uh, going through essentially like not not in details the spec, but like here's how it's going to work. Um, but yeah, having all all or a preponderance of states sign on is going to take some time. So, you know, if you're in one of those eight lucky states so far, uh, you'll, you'll be an early adopter potentially. Yeah. Congratulations. Con- congrats, I guess. Yeah. Um, Swift Playgrounds new version <laughs> that lets you develop things in Swift Playgrounds and submit them to the App Store later in 2021. I forgot this was happening. 
really yeah. until i wrote this piece i was like oh wait yeah there was like a new version and they and that was a big deal because you can write apps on the ipad for the ipad uh there were rumors going around last week that some developers were essentially getting invited by apple to like check it out in a beta private beta yeah yeah uh which suggests to me that it's probably pretty far along so maybe they'll make that 2021 date maybe that shows up when the 15.2 and 12.1 uh get released possibly Mm. um i I thought it was interesting that that didn't you know people talked about it so much and it didn't really materialize yeah i'm surprised that they didn't make it and maybe they will at some point a public beta or a test flight for that any developer can sign up for and even do a thing where it's like, well, you can sign up for it now, but you can't submit yet, right? Like, or you can only submit right. into test flight and it's not going to go in the store and do that kind of prolonged testing. Because it seems unlikely that they would do a closed private beta and then just roll out and say, go to town, people. Yeah. <laughs> Put this yeah, thing on the exactly. app store. Like, I, I don't think, I think there've got to be a bunch of steps in between. Uh, that, a lot of these, uh, and then what we're going to talk about next, it's sort of like, it's not that it isn't coming. It's that I'm not sure it's at step two, and it needs to get through three more steps to get out. And so it's going to be a while. The uh, Along with that, the uh, Xcode cloud, uh, which they talked about, um, where you can like build stuff in the in the cloud, that has been... They announced a it as a beta. So yeah, it was, it was yeah. announced as a beta and that they're going to ship it next spring or something. It's a paid service too, yeah. right? I yes. think you have to pay for that. So that's, yeah, that'll free, be interesting. Free as a beta, but then you have to pay, I think is how that is going to work. But yeah. Um, so the big one is universal control, which in some ways I think a lot of us thought was one of the coolest things that they announced. And this is the, for people who don't know, it's the the technology that is kind of stitching a bunch of stuff that Apple has already built. It's like that, you know, seeing them lay the groundwork um, because it's sort of like AirDrop and it's sort of like screen sharing and it's sort of like Sidecar. But what it what it is, is you can put multiple Macs or Macs and iPads together and use one set of controls and move your pointer and, and and use your keyboard, but move your pointer from one device to another to another across their screens. And it's like you're using one surface of of, of device, but it's actually the individual devices. So the, the simple example is I've got my iMac here. I put my iPad Pro next to my iMac. And when I move my trackpad, the cursor or pointer, whatever you want to call it, goes off of the iMac screen and pops over into the iPad, but it's not sidecar. I'm using the iPad and its software and its apps. So what I'm really doing is sort of having my keyboard and trackpad control the pointer on the iPad. It's like a KVM switch almost. Right. But you can also drag and drop things, which is the airdrop part of it, right? You and and the clipboard is shared across them. But it's the idea that you can you can as somebody who's used my iPad Pro with sidecar it just makes it a Mac monitor, right? It, yeah. and, and I always think to myself, well, if I'm going to do this, I should just use the iPad apps because I like the iPad apps. Why am I putting a, a Slack window that's got some lag over there mm-hmm. when I could just run Slack on the iPad? And this is the answer to that, which is, yes, you could just run Slack over there. And when you move your mouse over there or you start typing over there, it's it's the same keyboard you're using for your Mac. You don't have to switch to some other device. Anyway, very cool feature. Um, and this is what I was saying before about the steps is hasn't ever been even in a beta and yet is supposed to come later this fall, which I'll remind you is two weeks away is the end of fall. I think we say it's not happening, it's uh, not, at least in the fall. And it basically seems impossible. It you is, can search uh, for universal control yes. in the system preferences app and it will open the displays control panel. And depending on if you click the right way, it will actually bring up. I just did it. 
allow yes. your cursor and keyboard to move between any nearby Mac or iPad. Beta, the which box. the beta clearly means they're going to ship this as, as a, a beta, beta when it yep. ships. But when you click the checkbox, it gets a little dark uh, while you're clicking, and then you let go, and, it, it, and yeah. it doesn't check the box. And then there's separately push through the edge of a display to connect a nearby Mac or iPad, and that's grayed out. So yeah. it is in some recent betas as a setting you can't choose. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. I found that by accident one day, too, because I could type universal control. It would take you to displays. I accidentally put my screen to sleep at one point, and then I woke it up. And when I woke it up immediately, the dialog box was there yeah. suddenly. And I was like, what? There's not even a button for it. Where did that come from? Why doesn't um, it click? Why doesn't yeah, it check? Uh, it's so annoying. And there was, I guess, a beta where you could kind of, there was like a terminal hackery stuff you could do to sort of enable it, but it didn't work very well. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's... Well, somebody somebody put out a, a thing where it was like, there was like a secret preference that's like a a serial number for the, it's basically it's an apple internal something that you can pop somewhere and then it turns on the feature but like no don't no, do yeah, that d- yeah i wouldn't recommend it i mean it's clearly this was a lot harder i think than than the like the demo promised a high degree of difficulty right like the essentially this will be seamless and we know that apple loves to do seamless stuff like this and say it just works right that's the old catchphrase uh, yes Clearly, it was not just working, I think. Yeah. One of the things that I mentioned in my macro piece is that they chose to to set the bar very high for themselves, right? Yes. They didn't, they, they could have, I mean, I don't know if it would have shipped yet because I don't know where they're having issues, but it struck me at the time and it still strikes me that they could have made this one of those features that's kind of like sidecar where you have to go like, all right, I'm going to connect to another device and this device, and then I'm going to place it to the right of my screen and now it works. And they, they, they said, no, no, no. You're going to have your device in proximity. And because of all of our uh, airdrop and re- related um, stuff, all that proximity-based stuff, we're going to know it's nearby. And then you're going to push the cursor off of the, one of the sides of your Mac screen. And from that, we're going to infer the location of that device and do all the connection behind the scenes and it will seamlessly pop with a little animation out of the shell of your Mac and whoop appear over on the iPad. It's like, that's awesome. That is Apple kind of at its best of like, we can figure this out. Computers can do this. We don't need to ask you. We don't need to throw up any Chrome that that configures any of this stuff. And uh, that's fine, but that's harder. Hard, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. The, the the degree of difficulty very high. I like you said they set the bar extremely high for themselves. I I think this probably as we said this probably ended up being much trickier to implement or to get right uh, than than they initially thought. And so I'm I'm not shocked that they haven't like come out and said like by the way it won't make it by the-. they don't do that they're not going to come out and say well it's not going to make it by the uh, end of of fall. No, uh, but yeah you're not probably going to see it i i have to believe maybe the next round of betas because otherwise when are you going to ship it (laughs) this is it my prediction is going to be that they're going to ship 12.1 and 15.2 of ios and they're going to then the next day basically drop the next round of developer betas and it'll be on in there that's my prediction is is that they don't want to mess up the current betas because they're about to ship them. Yep. But then they will and they'll be able to say, you know, it's now in beta and 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 will be released publicly. And it's like, OK, well, we got it out by the end of the fall and that we put it in a in a public beta or a developer beta by the end of the fall. And again, no, there's no cop that's going to pull them over by the side of the road if they don't ship it by the uh by the solstice right it's not going to happen it's just us writing about it but solstice still cop. it would be nice to see it yeah oh yeah oh yeah the apple uh, it's 
It's uh, it's feature cops. <laughs> feature cops feature coming cops. this fall on Apple TV Plus. Excuse me, Mr. Uh, Cook. I'm going to need to see your uh, status of universal control. <laughs> I hope you've got a legacy contact filled out. Yeah. Uh, no, I got I got some legacy nodes. <laughs> loves those. Oh, loves he those. does. He loves them. This episode of Upgrade is brought to you by Amazon Music. Since you're listening to a podcast, I think it's safe to say you like listening to podcasts. You will find a ton of binge-worthy podcasts on Amazon Music. Despite the name, you will find podcasts on Amazon Music, including this one. Amazon Music has more than 10 million free podcast episodes to listen to. You can listen to the hilarious podcast Smartless one week before everyone else and ad-free. The True Crime Podcast, Dr. Death, Miracle Man, Everybody Loves a Death Podcast. It's available two weeks early on Amazon Music, so you're going to get all the podcasts that you listen to, plus a bunch of like extra stuff. And of course, Amazon Music, not just listening for podcasts. Uh, they got thousands of music stations, top playlists to stream for free. And no matter what you're listening to, you can go hands-free thanks to Alexa. If you want your music on demand and ad-free, try Amazon Music Unlimited with unlimited access to over 75 million songs as well as podcasts, music videos, and more. With Amazon Music Unlimited, you can listen to any song anywhere offline with unlimited skips. Uh, you'll be surprised at the interesting stuff that you'll find on Amazon Music, including podcasts. And now is a great time for you to try it because for a limited time, new customers can try Amazon Music Unlimited free, free, F-R-E-E, you're not mishearing, for three months with no credit card required. Just go to amazon.com slash upgrade FM. That's amazon.com slash upgrade FM to try Amazon Music Unlimited free for three months. That's amazon.com slash upgrade FM. Renews automatically. Cancel anytime. Terms apply. Thank you to Amazon Music for supporting Upgrade and all of Relay FM. Now, Dan, I mentioned earlier that you last appeared on this show in 2016. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Episode 85. What a world it was back in 2016. <laughs> a classic episode about uh, Kindles and Amazon Echoes called Talk to the Cylinder, episode 85, April 2016. And I thought maybe we would revisit that a little bit. I I wanted to start because Mike doesn't, again, Mike doesn't read books and he doesn't want to talk about e-readers. I wanted to start by saying that I reviewed a load of e-readers recently on Six Colors. Uh, Thank you to John Gruber for linking to my review, which, you know, sometimes the Daring Fireball links I expect. Other times I am taken completely by surprise. And I was taking, I saw that on Daring Fireball. Really? Okay, great. I mean, it's great. Um, And there aren't that many people. Here's another fact. There aren't that many people who review e-readers, who care enough about it, and are in a position where they've got a platform where they can review e-readers. The Verge does, and there are a few places that do, but not a lot. And I do care about it. So I I called up, I bought a Kindle, because Amazon, I can never, uh, despite their sponsorship of this, and the fact that we know high-ranking Amazon executives now, executive anyway, um, I can't get them to send me uh, review units of Kindles, so I just have to buy them, or in the case of some of them, buy them and then return them. Uh, thanks, Amazon. Uh, Kopo actually sent me uh, their new e-readers to review, which was really great of them. I, I, I bought one, but they sent me the rest, and that was that was awesome because I wasn't going to buy them. I was going to buy like eight e-readers. Um, and so you can read that review on Six Colors, but basically... The Kindle Paperwhite is uh, probably the best choice for most people at this point. I have I have switched over to the Kobo platform for a bunch of reasons. I think it has better typography. I think the software is better. It's got a store just like Amazon does. 
you can use the Mac app uh, Caliber with a, a DDRM plugin to convert your Amazon books so that they play on the on the Kobo. It's I guess technically not legal, but I think if you're just play shifting your own books that you bought, I'm okay with it. You should be okay with it. Um, and and the Kobo has some other features. Most notably, I think that the fact that the Kobo Libra has uh, physical page turn buttons, mm-hmm. which I really like, and Amazon thinks is a, a premium feature buttons uh, to turn the page are a premium feature that only should exist on the highest end, the Oasis, the highest end Kindle. The ghost of Steve Jobs has gotten to the the Yeah, war on buttons, Amazon. Well, no, no, the, I guess this would be, if, if Steve Jobs had lived a little longer, perhaps he would have realized that buttons were a premium opportunity. People will pay. That's right. They'll pay for buttons. Let those revenue stream pay for buttons if they want to. Uh, but anyway, so I love the Cobra Libra 2 because it is priced like $100 less than the Kindle Oasis and has buttons. Um, it's not as nice as the Kindle Oasis. It, the screen isn't flush, so so it's sort of recessed a little bit around the bezel, um, which the Oasis isn't. The Oasis has a metal back. It's a nicer piece of hardware, but it's also $100 more expensive. So I think if you're, if you're somebody who cares about uh, the convenience of not having to tap on the screen the problem I, I have with tapping on a screen and not having a physical page turn button is first off you're just holding your e-reader and then you've got to reposition your hand every time you turn the page in order to tap on it also you can do mistapping whereas with the kobo you can turn off tap to turn the page so you can only swipe to turn a page and it's delightful to not have mistaken taps turn the page of the book you're reading and and you just just keep clicking that button it's such a natural you leave your thumb that you're holding the e-reader over the button, and then every time it's time to turn the page, you just go boop, and it it's very civilized, and that's why I prefer the Kobo Libra. I have a Libra as well. I bought um, after I think your first review, the first version of it uh, a while back, and I, I like it a lot. I've been using it more and more as my default e-reader. I do have a Kindle still that I I use, and sometimes I jump back and forth because yeah. it just depends where I where I have a book. I'm living that Captain Picard multi e-reader tablet it's lifestyle. Great. I love it. Uh, it's weird, right? Because it's like now I used to have a stack of books on my nightstand. Now a stack, stack of, of e-readers. e-readers. It's a little weird. Um, but I did just buy uh, for my wife's birthday, which is today. Uh, I bought her a new Paperwhite because her old Kindle finally bit oh. dust. Uh, and I ended up, for a weird confluence of events, I ended up using it this past weekend while we were traveling, and she was reading something on my Kindle because it was only <laughs> available on my Kindle. Uh, so that was a very fun story where I bought her a new e-reader, and then I used it all weekend. I used it. Well, I mean, so how did you like the Paperwhite? Because it's it's solid. It's it's The the screen is really nice. The flush screen on it is yeah, really so, nice. Uh, I have a so my paperweight is a little older, but it has the flush screen. But this one has a much larger screen on it, yeah. which surprised me. So they shrunk the bezels a lot. Uh, I was using it without a case. Um, I like it a lot. It, it looks great. I think the typography has improved even since the one I have, which is only a few years old. Yeah, the proce- the processor is better too. So it's faster in it, and the screen looks better. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I think I think my biggest complaints about it are I do think the ergonomics of it are annoying the I bezels think are to, so narrow that it's actually kind of hard to hold i have to hold at the bottom or i have to like put my entire yeah. hand like around the back yep which is uncomfortable i can do it but it's uncomfortable or you got to two-hand it which is you know. yeah or you got two-hand it and i'm reading it like in bed and i'm constantly if you hold it by the bottom you're always worried like it's gonna tip out and hit you on the head in the face yeah sure um i so that frustrates me a little bit and i actually will say and maybe this is a, i don't know if this is a hot take but like i think the kindle software ux has gotten worse <laughs> like i was trying oh, to figure wow. out how to turn some features off yeah. and being like where are like 
there's the stupid feature that comes like enabled by default where it's like um like social like the highlights where it highlights things other people have highlighted right and tells you like 100 people have highlighted this phrase and i hate it i hate it <laughs> and i could not i was like going through all the preferences like where does this turn off and it turned out to be in like a totally separate section of the like you could only view it in the preferences when you were in a book and then look at the viewing preferences like while you're in the book and i was like this is oh. so dumb so I was like, this this frustrates me. I think that those, you know, just their setup has gotten so complex because they're trying to leverage all these like uh, internet and social aspects that I think it, it's just a bit of a mess. Whereas I think that Kobo actually has a much leaner, much cleaner UI in a lot of places. So I guess this is part of the risk of becoming the dominant, you know, uh, device maker in a in a market is that you don't feel as pressed to like improve things constantly, at least from a software perspective. Um, so, but it's, it, it is a fine piece of hardware. I enjoyed reading on it. Um, but I, I do think I, I having gotten used to the Kobo, I, I feel a little bit more spoiled when I have to go back to my Kindle. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's exactly it. The paperweight, you know, one of the challenges in reviewing products and you know, this too, is you've got to try to look beyond yourself and bad reviews often come from people who are just reviewing it for what they're interested in. And, and like, I am, I am trying to look beyond myself and say that I still think the Paperwhite, because of the, it, the, there's the cheap Kindle. I don't think that's good enough. I think the Paperwhite is a good Kindle to buy. It is, it is cheaper than the Libra. It, it's got, uh, it's got some very nice features. And so because the bezels are so narrow and because I like page turn buttons, I am not going to use it. I bought it and I used it and then I returned it. I'm like, no, I'm not going to use it. But I still think, I understand that a lot of people just don't care about the page turn thing as much as I do. I don't really understand it because I think ergonomically having a button to turn the page is so So much much better. So much easier. And and then you can turn off the taps, which is even better because then there's so many mistakes. You get a little speck of dust on the screen and you're like, I can't touch the screen. The dust must remain because I'll turn the page and then, right? So like, but but yeah, if you're just somebody who's very casual e-reader user, or maybe you only read some of the time or you read at the beach or whatever, like that, that paper white, the, screen nice. is, the screen is good. The hardware is solid. It's waterproof. Like it is... It is the definitive e-reader for people who don't who yeah. don't care so much. They're not precious about their e-readers. They just want a Kindle to throw in a bag. Yeah. And yeah. it's got everything that Amazon has. They've got their unlimited and they've got if you're prime, there's some books that you get and all that kind of stuff is wrapped into the Kindle platform that make that a good product. Yeah, it's got the new uh it's got the ambient backlight too thing right where it changes warmth depending yeah. on time of day or something like that. So I mean like that's cool the Kobo has that as well. I actually think the Kobo again implemented a little better, but I'm glad yeah. that it made its way yeah. to the Paperwhite because yeah. it is a nice feature. You know my favorite feature of of Kobo. So I like Kobo like I said I think the software is better. I think yes, the new Amazon software update hit me Right after I got that Paperwhite, it opened up and it looked perfectly normal. And then it said, I am updating my software. Yeah. And then it rebooted. And I'm like, what oh, happened? What are, who are you? How um, did you get in here? It actually, and its home screen looks more like the Kobo home screen, yep. which I thought was really funny. And the settings are all over the place. Yeah, Kobo software, the place. I do think is better. It's not perfect, but I think it's better. Yep. Um, 
it's typography is way better. When people ask me why I choose Kobo, number one reason is the typography. I, I think there's something about the way that Amazon looks font, really good. I don't know why <laughs> font rendering. I, I don't know either. Amazon's font rendering and its default fonts. There's something wrong there they because just the don't Kobo look like a book. The Kobo it's, it's just off. the cr- type is all crisper. Uh, my go-to is Georgia. I think. Because uh, yes. I think it looks yep. the best, but it's so crisp and clear. It's like I'm reading on paper in a way it that is. the Amazon yeah. fonts are blocky. I don't get it. It's it, so strange. It's the literally the same e-ink screen, so I don't yeah. understand that. I don't, but, I know what they're doing. And my number two, by the way, is libraries. And I wrote a whole piece at Six Colors that I'll link to in the show notes that explains, because I hear, I say, Kobo's better at library books than Kindle is. And I hear from all the people who own Kindles going, what do you mean? It's fine. And And that's because I'm not saying that it doesn't do it. I'm saying that Kobo is better at it. With Kindle, you go to the Libby app on your iPhone and everybody who you, has a local library, get the Libby app. It's it's uh, super good. And I, I always want to extol its virtues. You log into your local library, get a library card. They're free. Go to your library. You might even be able to sign up online and not even go to your right. library. Libraries you are great. You put that in there. They've got a selection of audiobooks and eBooks that you just check out and use. Audiobooks, you just play them on the Libby app. It's great. You, you, they're free because they're from the library. eBooks, what you do if you've got a Kindle is you go to Libby and you say, yes, I would like this book. And then you tap send to Kindle and it opens a web view of Amazon and you log in if you're not logged in and you have to say, uh, choose what Kindle you want to send it to when you press the button and then it loads another page that says, I sent it. And then you sync your Kindle and it shows up. It's fine. Kobo. Uh, so the company that does Libby is Overdrive. Overdrive is the preeminent library uh, system for ebooks and and audiobooks in the U.S. Overdrive used to be owned by Rakuten, the same company that owns Kobo, <laughs> for five years. It's not anymore, but it was for about five years. And as you might expect, they had pretty good integration. They built in good integration. So on the Kobo itself, you can tap view my Overdrive holds or browse my library's collection of ebooks. If you do a search, you can search the Kobo store or you can search Overdrive and find the books that are in your local library that you might want to read. And even if you're searching the Kobo store, if you find a book before you buy it, if you tap the little ellipsis button, it'll say, check this book out on Overdrive if it's available from the library instead of from buying it from the Kobo store. Like, it's just nice. It's just nicer. It's not that Kindle doesn't do it well. It's just that Kobo does it nicer. So those are the reasons that I, I have... That and the, the fact that that Libra hardware is so good. My Libra tip, by the way, which I really love and I discovered either did not know about or had forgotten, is uh, adjusting the backlight. That's by it. Sp- that's, that was it. That's that uh, was what I was swiping about up to and say. left. I tried to yeah. do it on the Kindle. I was just always, oh, this backlight. Uh-huh. I was like, yeah. oh, so come on. You put your <laughs> finger down on the left side of the screen on the Kobo and then slide it upward. The brightness goes up. <laughs> It's so it's, good. It's got a brightness up down gesture that I use all the time. And yes, yes, Dan, when I was testing out the paper white, I kept being like, "Why won't it do it?" Although you got to go flip- to a menu and you got to hit the little buttons. And- yeah. yeah, I will flip it and say that these ink screens also support dark mode, which is a really weird thing mm. where it puts. You know, it's what you expect. It uses the the ink screen is black and white, but it makes it the whole background black and the and the type white. Now, because it's a reflective screen and there's backlighting, it's still kind of bright, but I, it is a little bit dimmer, and the, and the typography isn't as good, but it's okay. And I will give Kindle credit here. Kindle, if you tap on the setting icon from while you're reading the book, you can just tap dark mode, 
And to do that on the Kobo, you've got to go like, you've got to tap settings and then you got to go to page two and then you got to check the box. And it's just, it's more swipes and taps to get where you mm-hmm. need to go. So yeah. advantage Kindle there, I guess, but I mostly don't use dark mode and, and that, that brightness shortcut is the best. It really is great. I, I was a huge, huge thing for me uh, when I accidentally discovered, why is my screen getting, ooh, hey, this is useful. And by the way, I should say there's also a Kobo Sage, which is a new, uh, it's, a, it's a bigger e-reader, and that one's got the flush screen. Um, Lauren is using that one. It's really nice. So it, it's more like a trade paperback size, whereas the smaller ones are more like a paperback size a little bit. A big screen. Um, Lauren uh, likes it because she can make the type bigger. And not have to change the page every mm-hmm, two sentences. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's uh, it's uh, it's it's really nice uh, if you're looking for something bigger. So I guess what I'm saying is don't default to Kindle. Look around a little bit. The Kobo stuff is really good. And it has some advantages, especially if you want those page turn buttons and don't want to buy a Kindle Oasis to do it because it's $100 more. And also Kobo, I'll, I'll point out just as a burn for Amazon, uh, the Kobo products just come without ads. Whereas the yeah, Kindle products, yeah. you have to pay extra to nice. take the ads off. And and to see your book cover on the front of the Kindle, or which is... <sighs> they did add that feature, which is nice. I know, it's great, but, but it, you have it to took, pay extra. It took, took forever and you have to pay for it. So like that's, <laughs> I know, that's it's not a huge count in its favor. Ooh. Uh, while we're talking about books, uh, I think we need to have the obligatory Dan as a novelist conversation. Oh, okay. uh, you've got a book coming out next year. You want to tell people where they can uh, where they can order it and, and yeah. what it's about? Sure. This is uh, the Nova Incident. It's the latest installment <gasps> in my Galactic Cold War series, which I've been writing for quite some time now. Uh, it is book three or four, depending on how you count. Do you want to know why? <laughs> Go to my FAQ at my website. Uh-huh. It explains it. Um, it comes out in July of next year. I'm very excited. Uh, so it's the uh, next installment. Jason has read this book. I have. Can, or, or, or an earlier version. I'm actually uh, yeah, working I read, on I read my, a draft. It may be very different now. I don't know. It's totally different. There are, there are rhinoceroses and what? unicorns. Now, no. Uh, I actually am working through the manuscript notes for my editor uh, this week. Um, so I'm ready to get the wraps on that. Um, but it is, uh, uh, I think kind of a fun thriller espionage story that takes place on a, uh, sort of, um, uh, on the planet on which a lot of these adventures have not been set before, but it's like the, the, the home of the, the Commonwealth. Yeah. The yeah. capital. It's got a, it's got like sort of a more thrillery feel to it. I think that's, that's I agree. how I'll, I'll describe yeah, it. All, all your books are kind of like spy thrillers, except in a sci-fi setting. Yeah. And so I feel like if if you like both of those things, like I know you do, that's your sweet spot. But I, I'd say if you like um, spy stuff or thriller stuff and are turned off by sci-fi, you might want to um, give it a try because it's set, it, it is, you're, you're mishmashing the genres a little bit. But I think it's clear that these are, and they're fun too. They're fun and funny. Uh, it's not all just kind of bleak. <laughs> Um, spies. <laughs> I don't you know, bleak. I don't you know bleak. the sad spies. It's the, not the, a sad spy story. Some of, the, some of those Lacare spies are they're very sad. They're, they're right? very they tortured. Just, they're very tortured. Mm, yeah. Your yeah. your so. your characters uh you know are sometimes tortured but also sometimes are uh, wisecrackers because you can't help yourself. Uh, 
that's true. It's a little bit more like I think my my blurb on the cover, which is from our from our from our pal Anthony Johnson this time around, says that it's like Mission Impossible in space. So that's a pretty good sum up of it's kind of what you're looking for. Yeah. Um, but it'll be it's available for now for pre order in pretty much every place. Whether you want your stuff in ebook, you know, you can get it on Amazon, you can get it on Kobo, uh, you can get it at Barnes and Noble. Um, it's available in paperback from all those places as well as your local independent bookstore. I'm sure we'll be happy to order it for you. Right. I always recommend checking out indiebound.org which lets you search for local bookstores near you um, and this time for the first time i am doing signed paperback copies through my local bookstore porter square books there is a link on my website for where you can pre-order one of those mm-hmm. and i'll sign it i'll even personalize it it's a thing you can put in and i happen to know that because jason did this. jason did this i did it yeah i did it i i put a personal engravement in, in there that you have to do and it says something like for jason i owe it all to you <laughs> so which i have to write it's the law it's the law now i did this um i bought joe posnanski's book the baseball 100 and i bought it. i love this trend and i bought it from his uh kansas city hometown uh indie bookstore and he went to Kansas City. He lives in, in North Carolina now, but he went back to Kansas City for a, an author event for the release of the book. And he went into the basement of the of the bookstore and it was completely full of his book. <laughs> and they said, you have to sign all these and inscribe them. And he said, oh my God. And they said, and then tomorrow when you come back, there will be more because oh we couldn't God. fit them all in here. Yeah, but I love it because it's authors um, supporting their local indie bookstores and you get something from it, which is you pay for them to ship it to you, but the author will will personalize it. Yeah. And, and so I'm glad that you're doing that with the Porter Square bookstore. Um, I, I know when we talk about this and we talked about eBooks just a minute ago, mm-hmm. uh, people always ask like, I, I want I want to make Dan happy. How do I make Dan the most <laughs> amount of money? And and is there a difference? Like, would you is your personal preference uh, buy a paper book from an indie bookstore, or is it it doesn't matter, or what? So, you know, there's a lot of math that goes into publishing contracts, and I think the best thing for readers is like not to worry too much about it. Buying the book is the most important thing. It's the best way fair. to show your support. Fair. Honestly, also, it's, it's like, not fair that they put math in publishing contracts because writers don't know math. I don't. I don't know. I, some of the numbers are larger than others. I. Uh, it's very tricky. But I mean, the short answer is they all help in different ways. Uh, I think that there's a lot to be said for paper books, even though the royalty rate on those tends to be lower. And I'm be happy to have a long conversation if you're really interested tune in we'll do a i don't know jason i'll talk about this somewhere else uh, about mm. books and, and publishing because it's super fun um but the the short answer is that the sales really help and the most important thing is pre-ordering is great because it goes in the first week sales and first week sales tend to be the largest number of sales right the same way a movie box office is biggest on opening weekend um and that is the kind of thing that registers interest for the publishers for the to say oh look there's a lot of sales happening this opening uh you know uh, release stay for this book maybe we should uh, consider <laughs> handing that guy another publishing contract mm. or something like that so that's the most important and then uh, after that i think it's a matter of your preference as a reader it's where you like to read your books if you're an ebook reader yeah buy it on ebook if you prefer it's a fine. paperback or you want a signed copy do it yeah order one of those that's great you want to order all of them yeah that's fantastic order all of them do it um uh, I will say there is, even though it's not available for pre-order yet, there should be an audiobook version. I don't know exactly when it's going to go for pre-order, but I will be posting about it on my website when it does. Um, so yeah, keep your eyes out if you're you're looking for that. All right. And uh, one last thing. We talked about paper whites and Kobos and things like that. Do you have a preference or do you go, are you all over the place in terms of reading books in paper, reading books in ebook? <sighs> I used to read a lot more books in 
paper. I, it's cut down a lot, especially in the pandemic. I, I think just the ability to get books quickly, like the instant gratification aspect, just got huge for me during the pandemic and being able to say, like, whether it's at my library or just buying a book in ebook, just being able to, you know, go and say, I got it, I'm going to start reading, uh, really removed a lot of barriers. I do like reading on paper and I do do it occasionally. I think also the other part of it is just like having recently moved, like uh, realizing I have a lot of paper books and acquiring new ones is probably uh, lower down on the priority list <laughs> these days. Yeah, I think that's fair. Getting I have space. <laughs> for the record, I, I am. I know I talk about e-readers a lot, and that's because I I don't read paper books. I will occasionally there'll be a book that'll be at the library in paper and it's not available as an ebook or it's only available to purchase. And I will have my contact at the local library being my wife, bring it home for me. But, and so I've read a couple library books in paper in the last couple of years, but basically I'm 99% on ebooks now. It yeah, just, yeah. and, and because I got into the whole overdrive library thing, that's actually been delightful because um, there have been occasionally there are these lists of books. Like there was NPR put together, a uh, definitive sci-fi fantasy reading list of the last decade or something like that. And there mm-hmm. were there were a handful of books on there that I hadn't read that were at my local library. And I added all those in and I will sometimes see other articles that list books and I'll, I'll put them in there. And then it's this sort of delightful thing where eventually that book will pop out, you know, my turn in line basically comes up and they'll say, here it is. And uh, that's actually been really great because there, there's this sort of random... It's like a playlist on shuffle. Conveyor belt of books. Yeah, of random books that will come in an order, like just a totally random order. Books that I said that I was interested in, but I don't remember anything about them because I just read an article about them and I put them on the list and then they come based on who's in the line and when it's your turn. Mm-hmm. And so that is that has actually been delightful because now in addition to the eBooks that I buy, I've got all these library books that just pop in and say, here I am. And of course you can say ask me again in three weeks or something like that they that's pretty easy to do but i do love that so um, it is almost it is entirely. the weird thing with ebooks though that like my wife and i were both reading books on our e-readers this weekend and they both ended up being very long books and i feel like that's the weirdest thing because you can't tell anymore right like no. you got a paper book it's like oh look it's a thick paper book it's gonna take me i'm gonna like dive into this now you're reading just a book on screen it's like i have no idea actually <laughs> in terms of uh of superiority of kobo that's another thing that i really like is that they put the what page number of how many pages in the chapter at the top and yes. at the bottom they tell you what the page number is of the of the book overall and there's a yeah. progress bar yeah at the, at progress the very bar bottom great. and that's the way you can tell you're reading a long book is you read a few p- chapters and then you look down <laughs> at the progress bar and you're it like oh moved. no how <laughs> big is this book? but it will say you know this is page eight of 723 and you'd be like yeah okay it's a long book <laughs> <laughs> Don't just lower the font size. Make the font smaller, and the page count goes. Please, down. no. My eyes are not as good as these. No, days. no. Well, you can make it bigger, but then the page count goes up. That's how oh, it works. Man, I know. This episode of Upgrade also brought to you by Text Expander from our friends at Smile. Do you ever type the same thing over and over and over again? I know I do. Could be customer support answers, sales emails, document edits. You type these things repetitively or using copy and paste. It's a burden. It's dumb. Computers can do this better than we do. Don't type things that your computer can type for you. That is where Text Expander comes in. With Text Expander, you and your whole team can keep your message consistent, save time, and be more productive. Be accurate every time. You know, this is a key point, right? It's not just you're typing the same thing every time. It's what if you have a whole team that's typing what's supposed to be the same thing, but everybody does it a little bit differently, and then everything gets inconsistent, and then you've got to update something, and somebody's using the updated version, and somebody's using the not updated version, and it's very confusing. 
Text Expander can solve all of that. The way we work is changing rapidly. Make work happen wherever you are by saving time and saying more and uh, less effort. Text Expander is going to save you time. Again, computers are here to do our work for us. Let them. Text Expander will let you. Uh, and as a listener to Upgrade, you can get 20% off your first year. Visit textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander. That's textexpander.com slash podcast. Thank you to Text Expander from Smile for supporting Upgrade and all of Relay FM. Dan, you know what time it is? What time is it, Jason? It's time for Ask Upgrade. Pew, 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 pew. Thank you. Those are space spy lasers. Thank you. That's I right. appreciate it. Our first question comes from Michael, who says, do you use an external trackpad with your Mac? And if so, which one? I still have the original Apple Magic trackpad with the AA batteries, but I think it's finally dying. My mm. keyboard is a Keychron K2 for what it's worth. What trackpad should I get? I have never used a trackpad that is not Apple's trackpad, yeah. and I can't imagine ever using a trackpad. Like, with the exception of I bought that um, Logitech uh, keyboard for the iPad, the one that had the trackpad built in right. last year when the Magic Keyboard came out, and the trackpad on that was not great. Not great. Um, <laughs> not great. Uh, yeah, I, I use a Magic Trackpad, too, on my mm-hmm. on my Mac. I had an original Magic Trackpad. I love it. I would never, honestly, never switch from that for anything. And I don't know if Michael is a laptop user, but uh, remember when Apple made that change where they went to the sort of virtual like tr- trackpad where it just vibrates when you yeah, click it, and they got rid right. of the diving board effect where you can't really click at the top of the trackpad because it hinges from there, so you have to click down lower on it? Well, when they changed that on the laptops, they also that's what the Magic Trackpad 2 is. It's that vibrating, you can cl- tap anywhere on the whole thing and click, and it works. There's no diving board or anything like that. Um, and it's a really good product, and that's what I use too. I have also learned the hard way. You mentioned that iPad case. I have tried a lot of iPad cases with trackpads mm-hmm. in the last year because they added track uh, pointer support in iPad OS, and so everybody's like, "Hey, we can do our own trackpad keyboard combo now." And I've used the one from Logitech, and I've used the one from Bridge. And what I've learned is Apple puts a lot of secret sauce in its trackpad stuff because two-thirds of the Macs they sell are are laptops. Mm -hmm. And they've been using trackpads for a very long time. Apple has spent decades at this point perfecting first trackpad gestures and then later multi-touch trackpads Mm -hmm. and then later... Um, the the one that they've got now where it's that kind of virtual, it's pressure detection and all of that. Like Apple has poured so much effort into its trackpad software that's been invisible because if you only ever use an Apple trackpad, you just think it's what a trackpad is yeah. like. Yeah. If, if you use a, ever use a PC trackpad if you, or a bounce back and forth, it is... Wow. I, right. My wife has a PC for work and I occasionally I want to like use it and show her something and I like I can't it's just like nothing works like I expected to. And and so using those the otherwise perfectly nice products that that the, the trackpads are decent on the Kensington and the Bridge models, but they're not like I realized there were things that I do with my fingers on the trackpad that I do on a non-Apple trackpad and the trackpads get confused. They don't do the right thing. And I can like aggressively like move where my fingers are or change how I do it because I've been trained by Apple's trackpad software too, right? That's also been happening secretly in the background. Um, my, the short answer is you think it's invisible, um, but it's not. If you use Apple products, if you used an Apple Magic trackpad, if you use Apple laptops, get a Magic trackpad too for your desktop 
not only is it great, I'm a big fan of trackpads, and I love that all the gestures that I used on laptops for all those years also work at my desk. I also think, and um, listener David, uh, member David in the discard points out that it's funny. He says that Apple's mice are so bad when Apple's trackpads are so good. I think it goes to the fact that most Mac users, and that includes people at Apple, are using laptops, and they all mm-hmm. have the Apple trackpad. And then it is such an easy step to go from there to using a trackpad on your desk, which is what so many of us have done. And I'm pretty sure that the people who work on Apple's input devices are probably more trackpad people than mice people. Yeah. And also that that if you have to justify working on one or the other, like the trackpad is built into two-thirds of the Macs you sell. It has to be the priority. I just I, I, It's been so long since I've used a mouse regularly on everything. I really... And then when I go back to them and find them and like have to use one for some reason... I always find them annoying. I don't know. I don't. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I've moved uh, on. I haven't used a mouse since the 90s because I got, I, and I know I've told this story, but basically uh, one of my bosses at Mac user back in the day had a Kensington Turbo yeah. Mouse. And when she left to go to work for a different magazine, I used, I got that thing. And at that point, I was a trackball person until the moment that I became a a magic track. I had a trackball at, at one of my jobs for a while too that they, they got for me. Yeah, and, and you know what, was, kill, yeah. what killed the trackball is the innovation of the scroll wheel. Because you could do the mm-hmm. two finger down scrolling on a trackpad, but on a, a trackball, they're like they put like a ring around it, it so you could. It's weird. Come on, they tried to bring a scroll wheel into some of them at one point, and it's like that's no, that's not a no. thing. No, you can't do that. We all agree it's better than the ThinkPad eraser nub. Yeah, no, <laughs> no is, I think Ka- I think Casey, <laughs> not Casey Liss. Casey Liss loves that thing. Loves Casey that little, Liss is a little wrong. nubbin. You heard it here. Yeah. Well, he hates it. he hates everything, uh, but he loves that ThinkPad nub. He does. Hi, Casey. Uh, Brant's writes with the rumors about an updated iPad Pro next year with wireless charging mentioned earlier in this episode. How do you think Apple will handle that? A glass-backed iPad sounds too heavy, so maybe an exposed MagSafe ring, sort of like the clear iPhone case. Huh. Brant's, I think you gotta th- when you think iPad Pro, you've got to think MacBook. You've got to think that that it's not a big iPhone. It's a it's a thinner laptop. And so I'm going to say I think that if they do iPhone they they do iPad with a MagSafe charger or wireless charging of any kind, it's going to be MagSafe and it's not going to be lay it down on a pad. It's going to be either a a puck or it's going to be a MagSafe connector like the new laptops have. Maybe even the same one. <gasps> Maybe Possibly, so, are, you think it. You think it's gonna have two ports? Is that where that's going? Or do, you do you mean like a MagSafe in, plus the USB and USB C? Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe it already has. I mean, technically, it's got the smart connector on the back, so it would be uh, one way to do it. Would have it be a magnetic smart connector that also is a charge that connector. Seems, that seems interesting to me because I can't imagine them putting a MagSafe port on the side and a USB C. I mean, like they have to be on opposite sides. Maybe I don't no, know. I, I it think, seems. It seems. I odd. think they could. I mean, it's not really a port, right? It's just the I little guess. kind of yeah, that's thing. A good point. You, yeah. But if you wanted to do charging via the smart, um, by the Magic Keyboard, then what you probably want to do is use the smart connector. So could they do a new version of the smart connector that also has more robust? Because you can do trans- yeah, power transfer over smart slow, connector, though. but it's it's terrible. You don't want to yeah. do it. But they could do something like that, and then they could potentially have something that's more like a MagSafe charging puck, like. Like uh, the ones that they sell, but not not like a Qi charger necessarily. I, I just don't hard think to line gonna, up, right? Like, yeah, I just yeah. don't. I, I think it's more likely that they would do something that would that would connect like MagSafe, yeah, and make yeah. a physical connection and charge 
Um, that's that's my guess. It kind of surprises me they didn't come up with a way, and maybe this was just super complicated, but it didn't surprise me they didn't come up with a way to like put the USB-C port like inside, like have like a magnetic ring around the USB-C port or something mm. so you could use it for both. Like, I don't know. I That seems intriguing to me. I'm, I'm surprised they didn't try to do something or maybe they did and it just didn't work out. But that's what I would say is, is no. don't think iPhone. Think iPad smart connector or think Mac um, in a new Mac MagSafe. Although I will say, uh, traveling with that MacBook Pro t- for Thanksgiving, I-, I I was reminded of a thing that used to happen with my MagSafe laptops, which is I would then lay it down on the ground, leaning up against something, and it would lean up against it and pop the MagSafe charger mm-hmm. off of it, and mm-hmm. I'd be like, no, and then I have to put it back on and try to get it in an angle where it doesn't pop it off. Um, and I try to imagine doing that now with my iPad, and I'm like, oh, makes me, that's one thing that makes me sad about my M1 Air is it doesn't have MagSafe. Doesn't have MagSafe. Yeah, it's true. Um, Mork, probably from Ork, writes, do either of you, I, I think he means you, Dan, own okay. printers? Mm. If so, what do you use them for? Printing photos, rough drafts of blog posts? <laughs> sure. Yeah. I print out all my blog posts. Mm-hmm. Pain, They're not real until fridge. you print them out and nail them to your <laughs> front door. Yeah. Like Martin Luther. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> I actually, I own a brother. I'm looking at it across the room. HL2280. Uh, it's an old multifunction. Um, it's a beast. It's got a flatbed scanner in it. And it is technically not even mine. I am custodian of this printer because it is the printer our MIT Mystery Hunt team used to use when we actually were in person. So I would lug it over to MIT for our weekend puzzle solving uh, annual event and mm-hmm. I would set it up in there and then the rest of the time it would live in my house and I would use it when I occasionally need to print something out. And I briefly had another uh, brother laser jet, that, um, but we sold it when we moved. So I just have this one because it's got the scanner in it. I use it to print like documents occasionally when I need to print something out. It's fairly rare these days. It's not even plugged. I'm looking over the cords just lying on the ground. It's not even plugged in. <laughs> Did you say 2180? 2280DW. Oh. HL2280DW. It is a, it's pretty big. And it doesn't, it doesn't have its pre-air print, which is really annoying. So I, I've i used Printopia for years with it mm. because it's the only way. To, like, I don't want to set up <laughs> having to, like, print to these things. That I uh, I also have a laser printer, although I am the owner of it. Um, I'm not just a custodian. I'm mm-hmm. just a guardian. It is the HP Color Laser Jet Pro M255DW. Ooh, they have so yeah. good model names, these printer makers. Yeah, it's a color laser. I resisted buying a laser for a long time. I used to have, I had a personal laser writer too back in the day and I loved it um, when I was in grad school. Um, but I ended up, after a series of inkjet printers that were disappointing mm-hmm. um, and dealing with the ink and all that, I decided to buy the laser printer. I actually, my mom likes to print pictures and she lives in the desert. And we we bought laser or inkjets for her, and they were complete failures. And I finally said, I'm just going to buy a color laser for her because the ink dries out in the desert. If you don't print on a regular basis, mm. if you wait a week or two, the ink dries out and it all jams. Yeah. And so I bought her a color laser, and I went back. When I visited her the last time, there were new pictures on her wall that she printed out with a laser printer. And in setting it up, I thought, you know, I, I should not be afraid of the laser. I should mm. don't fear the laser. This is ask upgrade. The lasers pew, are pew. our friends. So I bought one of the same model that M two fifty five DW that I had bought for my mom, and it's great. Um, we don't use it a lot. Like I don't I don't print out my blog posts and and go over them in red pen. Um, that I haven't done that in years. But uh, 
it, there are documents that are required in places or it's convenient. Sometimes it's a coupon for parking at the airport. There More of those things are on apps now, but they're not all on apps. Some of yeah, them, they really yeah. want to see a piece of paper. Um, every now and then I have a boarding pass that it refuses to text to me for some security reason. And so it, it says, you know, no, no, you have to print this. I'm like, okay, I'll do that. My son has stuff for school sometimes where he has to do that. Shipping labels are a great just, one. It's honestly just a it's a convenience to have it. I mean, like there are like you said, there's just so many weird edge cases sometimes. Shipping labels is a good one. I definitely printed out a bunch of the returning stuff at Amazon. Even that is less needed now. Like right. my my local Whole Foods, you can just hand them something and show them a barcode right. and they'll be like, Yeah, we'll take care of it. And it's weird. I have a lot of those where it's the, you know, I need to print somebody sent me a a product that I'm returning and they've given me a label yeah, to print. UPS sometimes they print it themselves, sometimes not, or I'm doing UPS. Because re- what I really want to do is, and this says something about my personality too, I would much rather take the box that's already labeled for UPS to our local UPS store, walk in, place it down, or to our local post office and walk it and place it down and walk out to the place yes. where they collect the boxes where you don't have to interact with anyone or wait in line. Yep. Then do those things right and talk it's to somebody and have yeah. them print a thing for me and I don't want to talk to them I just want to go online I want to print out the thing I want to tape it on and I want to walk in and say here you go or for FedEx just leave it outside the door and say come get it um that's what I want to do so printers are great for that is what I'm saying yeah yeah they they still have their utilities and yeah. you know I I love having a laser printer like that was a I had a style writer <laughs> uh way uh, back yeah. in the day yeah, and good times. Uh, it wasn't wasn't a great printer <laughs> And Amar asks, do you use tap on your Mac trackpad or do you use click? What do you think, Dan? I didn't come here to be attacked, Jason. Um, so I, I, this is a matter of dispute over on the rebound. I have tap to click on. <sighs> you monster. I know. I know I'm a monster. I don't end up using it that much, but I do like it's, I've tried to think about whether or not I do, do it even consciously and I'm not sure. I do think there are some cases where I feel like a tap is a thing I want to do that is like it's weird in my head. It's like less committing than a click. It's like oh, I want to bring a window to the foreground, but I don't want to like click a button in the window, so I'll tap on it. It's it's, it's totally like a weird, a weird mental thing for me. But I do have it on. But I use both. All right, it is weird. So I'm glad Thank you admit. You. I, I'm glad you admitted that. Um, I think that tap to click is the work of the devil. <laughs> <laughs> Knew that was coming. I I I don't. You know, people should like what they like. I. I don't like it. That's that's my answer is I do not like it. Um, I think it's uh, easy to misclick with tap to click. True. I, I really like doing it where I, you know, I actually click and it clicks and then everybody's happy. We all know what a click is. We all know what a click isn't. Tap to click. It just gets in the way. So, so that's my answer, Amar. I use click. I do not use tap. Whereas Dan doesn't care apparently yeah. or use them for different things which is yeah. even weirder <laughs> yeah you get into weird habits with these computer things uh, it's true this is what i learned when i use those third-party trackpads is oh I, like i had to take video of my hands making gestures and i'd be like oh that's what's happening that's why it's doing that weird thing that the apple trackpad knows is fine but the other trackpads like there's an extra finger here late seriously the the big one was i kept sometimes i keep because it used to be <laughs> because you have to click at the bottom of the hinge trackpads. And because it mm. used to be that there was a trackpad with a physical button under it, mm-hmm. I click with my thumb at the bottom of the trackpad. That's ah. just always stayed with me. And sometimes 
uh, and I never really realized this, sometimes I lay my thumb on the bottom of the trackpad while I make other gestures. Uh, and those third-party trackpads are like, what's this thumb doing here? And is Apple's that when it like, teleports back and forth? Yeah, like, and, and Apple's like, don't worry about it. That thumb's not doing anything. And and so, but and that's entirely because of that long legacy that dates back to when the button was below the trackpad. Yeah. It's, it's my own personal problem, but I was trained into that behavior and I haven't been trained out of it. It reminds me of uh, our friend Lex's, I think he was the one that said this years ago, that using other people's computers is hell, <laughs> which is, I think, a great, every time I sit down at my dad's computer and it doesn't have, like, natural scrolling on, and I'm just like, ah! You, so, so you haven't lived until you have John Syracuse in your office and he needs to print a boarding pass, and so he sits down at your computer in your office. Because that's, that, that's a moment of, like, I may die. I may die because John Syracuse is sitting in my office using my computer, and he's not going to like it. And he, for listeners, he did not like it. <laughs> so Jason, was, Jason, what are you doing? What are you doing? What, what are you doing what, with it? Why, why, why is this? What is on the desktop here? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got it all from Dad. I did. I did. He, he judged me. He judged me. I was found wanting. Oh. All right, Dan, um, thank you so much for guesting for Mike this week. I appreciate it. Where can people find you and the stuff that you do? I mean, they would have an easier time avoiding me. Uh, my, you can find me in so many places. Uh, obviously, I write with Jason over at Six Colors. Co-host Clockwise right here on Relay FM. I co-host The Rebound, which you can find at reboundcast.com. Uh, and for more on me, you can check out my website at dmorn.com, which has not only a list of all my podcasts, but also links to all my books, including The Nova Incident. And you can uh, pre-order your copies there, including your signed copies. Yes. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at dmorin, and uh, obviously also over at The Incomparable with Jason doing a bunch of other podcasts. And if you haven't listened to The Rebound um, and you like Connected and you enjoy the japery that goes on at Connected. Oh, connected, do we jape? <laughs> the Rebound is is a real full of japes there's lots of japes anything with anything with molts first off is going to have that and then yes. and then dan and lex are also there with the japery so if you're fans of that sort of podcast a theoretically a tech podcast but with yeah. <laughs> that has become overwhelmed yeah. by japery <laughs> try the rebound you get a second one because i will say you i will say i don't know uh, if connected goes there as much but we are probably on we're on the r-rated language side though i will yeah, warn also, people about that yes. <laughs> if you want a, a filthier version of connected <laughs> with with uh but with all Americans, then that's the rebound. That's your there you go. go. That's Except for the occasional is. Canadian and the occasional Scotsman who drop in. Well, you can also find me at sixcolors.com and on Twitter at jsnell. Remember to vote uh, and help us with the Upgradies at upgradies.vote. And of course, you can give the gift of Relay for $39 a year for new plans to you or to your friends at giverelay.com. And uh, we will be back next week. And Mike will be back and horribly jet-lagged, but he will be back. Uh, thank you to our sponsors, FitBod, Amazon Music, and Text Expander from Smile. And we will see you next week. Uh, until then, Dan, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, Jason. <laughs> clock lasers. <laughs> 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 <laughs>